somebody and tell them good morning. Wow. 
might as well turn your attention. We have another baptism this morning. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you on this beautiful summer day. Don't worry, Wednesday winter's coming again. We'll have it for a couple days, then summer will be back. But it's so good to have you here this morning. About three weeks ago, we had the privilege of ordaining Josh and Allie Ferguson into the full-time ministry to serve the Lord. That is the other end of what you're about to see this morning. The uh, unique thing that God has called us as a church to do is to bring all to maturity and some into leadership. And that is what we pour a majority of our energy into, taking believers and growing them up. And uh, it is such a wonderful thing when a young man or a young woman accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, realizing he or she's a sinner and they need to be forgiven. And uh, that is the story of Jackson, who uh, recently accepted Christ as his Savior. And, and I want to be clear in this, that what is about to happen isn't to be saved, but because he has been saved. And this is uh, the next step in being saved is committing your life to the Lord and surrendering to the best of your knowledge uh, what you are to the Lord, saying to everybody else, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And uh, so it is always a privilege when we have a young man or a young woman who wants to take a stand before the church or an old man or an old woman for that, for that matter who wants to say to everybody, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. So this morning, uh, I want to introduce you to Jackson. Say hi, Jackson. See, how come I can't say hi like that? But uh, Jackson, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, right? And uh, Nathan is his daddy. And uh, we count it a privilege when we have a believing father who's discipling his family, who's willing to baptize his child. Because ultimately, he's the first line of def defense spiritually. And uh, so Nathan and I have talked. This is the second child you've baptized. Yes. And uh, anything you want to share? Uh, just that we're proud of him and... and over the summer, he kept talking to us about wanting to be a Christian, and we explained what that meant. And so over the summer, he accepted Christ as a Savior, and we're all excited at the dinner table, and here we are today. That's great. So I'll get out of the way. Why don't you baptize your son? Start sideways. Give me your hands. Actually, why don't you plug your nose? Jackson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joe is Jackson's grandfather. He's going to pray for him. Father, we want to thank you for the love you show us. We want to lift Jackson up, the newest or one of the newest brothers to the family that we're now part of. Father, that, that he always looks forward and sees that your word is the way to understand. And as Jesus said in Gethsemane, not my way, but thy way, Father that he'll seek that way and that he'll be always craving to know more about you and wanting to be that Christ-like person that you all desire us to be. For it's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to make my way over here, and uh, if you'll take your worship guides and open them, I want to highlight a few things that we have coming up uh, during the holiday season. It is, it's just, did it just hit you fast, too? I mean, it, we're like two and a half weeks out from Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? Actually, we're going to rename it to Marksgiving because that is my birthday. I remind you every year, and uh, it's always fun. But uh, a couple things. It, well, let me start by again welcoming you. If you're visiting with us today or if you're watching on the Internet, uh, uh, we're, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're walking. Wa watching. We're glad you're walking, too. Uh, our hope and our prayer, though, 
is that you will fall in love with Jesus Christ. So we're unapologetic about that. And if you know him, our hope and our prayer is that you grow in your love for him because he loves you an, an enormous amount. We'll get into that a little later. We're in our study of the book of Ruth, and we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 today. And after a few more worship songs and all, we'll be there. So encourage you to grab a Bible and participate with us. If you're in the room, you'll see it on the screen. But again, thanks for being here. Um, for those of you who are visiting, but even more now for those of you who attend here regularly, I'd like to highlight a few things that you need to be aware of. Uh, the very next big thing we have coming up, as you've seen as you walk in, is it is time for Operation Christmas Child. And that begins a week from tomorrow, believe it or not. And our role in that is actually we collect for the region uh, churches, there are collection centers in Nacogdoches and other places. Churches, larger churches gather, and they, they gather hundreds of boxes. I think Denman does like 500 every year. Then they crate them up, and then they bring their crates here. And for a week, we as a church uh, are the collection center for our region of the state. So for a week, from Monday to Monday, uh, churches and regional collection center or, or area collection center, city collection centers will bring their boxes here. And we staff that. This is an annual thing we do. And uh, we have had a lot of you already sign up to do that. There are two times each day, except for Saturday and Sunday. There are two times each day when we open our center from uh, three hours in the morning, 10 to 1. And then in the evening, it's, a, it's uh, two and a half hours. And we need you to staff that. It doesn't matter if you can't lift boxes. Uh, if it, there, There's paperwork to be done. Uh, we also take individual boxes that haven't been put into crates, and we crate them, and we seal them up. If you are willing to serve, we need you. Uh, and uh, that, as you're leaving here, please sign up um, so that we can know, make sure that each of those times are covered. Uh, some of them are boring. Some of them are exciting. Uh, depending on the time, uh, especially, so if it starts a week from Monday, two weeks from Monday is our busiest day because those are the days that we fill the semis uh, with those boxes that afternoon. So that is a time we especially need strong-hearted women because of the time we live, but mostly men. We need men, lots and lots of men. So if you are able to help us move boxes, to lift them in the back of a semi, we would sure appreciate that, specifically that following Monday. So, uh, again, if you would sign up, that would help us. For, those, uh, for all of us, though, they're in your worship guide. There should be information, a shoebox gift information. Uh, so please grab one of these and, uh, and make use of it as well. Um, so that's Operation Christmas Child. If you have any questions, please call the office. We'd be glad to answer those for you or grab us after church. Uh, another thing is you'll notice an insert, a white insert. We have our annual business meeting coming up. That's November 12th uh, at 5 p.m. Um, how we do it here at Carpenter's Way, I've been explaining it to you. This is for those who are members of Carpenter's Way. But you'll see that there are nominees for the finance team, mission investment team, as well as an elder nominee. Uh, that, this is not pick one or the other. It's just a yes or a no vote on those. Uh, we ask that you ask questions about individuals. If you have concerns, you can bring those to us, but they need to be before that meeting. We're not here to shame anyone or cause discord, so please feel free to contact us. Also, we vote on our budget that day. It's a very short business meeting. Um, if you're interested uh, in that, out, go out the doors and just to the left on the wall outside of the library, you'll see all that information on our budget. You can grab one per family, please. Take a time to peruse that. Ask questions, we'll answer those. We will open it for answers at the annual business meeting that night. Um, but we'd really prefer to have all those questions answered ahead of time. Um, usually they literally last less than 15 minutes. Uh, we come in, we open it for questions, there's one or two, and then we close it, and you vote, and then we go count them. That's basically how it is. And we'd like to continue that. Um, why? Because 
annual business meetings are not excuses for Christians to treat each other like we live in Washington, D.C., <laughs> and we're trying to maintain that. This is a, God is a God of order, so this is how we do that. If you have questions, please feel free to ask me or any of the elders. Uh, their names are on the back, so if you have questions, contact one of us, please, and we would be glad to, uh, to let you know. All right, that's enough of the business. Operation Christmas Child, uh, annual business meeting. Now let's talk about our party. On, uh, for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, every year, the week of Thanksgiving, Tuesday night, we have what we call the Agape Feast. This has been going on for 20 years in our church. And uh, basically what we do is you bring two things to share. We fill that welcome area with food, and we pig out. That's what we do. It is a glutton-free day. I've talked to the Lord. He said you can eat as much as you want. Um, but it is, it's an evening. We come in here. Most of it is sitting around the table and sharing a meal. Uh, this room is full of tables. It's a lot of fun. Uh, at the end of the evening, we'll have a short uh, couple songs and a short devotion time. really want to encourage you to be out here for that. It's a lot of fun. And this is one of the ways you get to know people. I want to remind you, it's not enough just to sit in here. You really got to build relationships with God's people. That's what the church is about. So we encourage you to put that date aside. Uh, it's November 21st. Tuesday night starts at 6.30. You bring two dishes, uh, and we will turn this into a, a dining hall, and it'll be an awful, awful lot of fun. So please plan on joining us for that. Uh, put that in your calendar. Um, I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward as we prepare for our offering. Uh, for those of you who don't know, these offerings go to support uh, our mission program. We are part of the Southern Baptist Convention's interna uh, International Mission Board. Uh, that's about 8,000 missionaries internationally that we support through our offerings. We also have 14 missionaries and individual mission groups that we support here. Some of them, we support CISC, we support Mosaic Center, Pregnancy Help Center, and then individuals, Josh and Allie Ferguson with Campus Crusade for Christ. So we're involved in those, as well as paying the bills here and supporting the staff and, and sending people on short-term mission trips. That's where this money goes. Now that I've explained that, if you're not part of Carpenter's Way, don't give. This is not for you. Just pass the plate as it comes by and don't take anything out. That's all we ask. We're just glad you're here, and we hope you're encouraged having been with us today. Um, um, one other thing, and that's uh, some new folks came into membership. Uh, Alan and Betty Foster, Cassidy Eberlin, and uh, Chad and Megan Sullivan. We're awfully glad that they've joined our church. Uh, you, come, you join Carpenter's Way every quarter. We have a new members class that you get to meet all the elders and all the pastors and, and all that stuff and ask questions. Uh, we do that every quarter, and, and we just had one of those, and we're very excited for them to be joining our church family and membership. Um, having said that, if you come to Carpenter's Way regularly, we're going to love on you just like you're a member. Even if you are too lazy to come to that class, it's fantastic. I was just kidding, okay? Lighten up. All right, let's pray. God, we love you, and uh, we're thankful that we can get together every week and worship you and sing songs and hear from your word and Man, what a great week of study I had. I am so excited about what I am learning personally from Ruth. And then I get the privilege, Lord, the unique privilege of actually sharing with your kids what you're teaching me about you and your and, and, and life and, and how you work with us. And I, I ask you, Lord, that, that in my frail, uh, with my frail verbal abilities, you would still speak your truth. I pray that the words of Chad, the words of the worship songwriters, the, worship, the words of me would fade away today so that the words of God can endure forever. Because it is your word that matters, not ours. So, Lord, lift yourself up this morning. May we find joy in you. May our hearts be relieved of the pain of life. And may we, may we leave this place encouraged. We love you, Dad. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.
to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. 
and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see.
Most of you are inclined to sit in the back, and that's fine. But I'll tell you what, sometimes there are some mornings where people sing, and it's just so moving. And today was one of those. Thank you. You blessed me. Uh, I just got a text that uh, the Silvas are here. Where are they? Mario and JC, good to see you. They are part of our mission family, for those of you who don't know. Good to see you. See, my Apple Watch is doing ministry already, Kevin. Kevin's over there texting me. Make sure your shirt is buttoned properly. The silvers are here. Don't be distracted by technology. <laughs> it's great to see you. Um, yeah, let, let, let's pray together. Uh, Father, man, God, I, I've had such a blast in Ruth. 
And uh, I always fear a little bit that I'll not communicate the, the cool things you're teaching me, and I, I just want to do that today. And I, I pray that you won't let me get in the way. Father, don't let Mark get in the way. I, I, I have a tendency to hobby horse and to rabbit trail. And if they're your rabbit trails, we don't mind taking them. But I just ask you this morning to encourage those who are hurting. Father, I know that in this room and watching on the Internet, there are those who know you that are not walking with you, that, have, that in fact are running from you. And they're blaming the church. They're blaming their, their context. They're blaming the pain in their life. But, Lord, they're hurting in any, in any facet. And I pray that today would be the day you draw them close. For those of us who are walking with you, Father, I pray that you would focus us on you, that we would hear from your spirit, and you would change us because of what he is doing in our lives. Do not change us from the outside in. Change us from the inside out. In your name we pray, amen. Are you enjoying Ruth? Yes. Man, oh man. I, I have, uh, I've been blown away by what I've been learning, and I'm, I'm hoping you are as well. There's so much to absorb about this story. The background information brings it to life, doesn't it? I mean, I, <clears throat> and, and, and for those of you who've been with us so far and you kind of know what I'm talking about, man, Esther's the same way. You know, we go to these stories and we talk about that courageous woman, Esther, or we look at this and we talk about the love story between a guy named Boaz and a, a girl named Ruth. But you know, this really, this really is a love story, but it's not a love story about two people. It's a love story about a God, divinity, the creator of the universe, who, who has always existed, loving people loving people and putting a plan into action even before our birth, even before we're aware of our need for that plan. And, 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 he, and he makes it happen in such a way right under their noses. Rahab's only concern, and I know some of you are going, Rahab, what does Rahab to do with it? She is the Gentile prostitute mother of Boaz. Rahab's only concern was the same as Naomi and Elimelech. Who's, who is Naomi and Elimelech? That's Ruth's in-laws. Ruth's, uh, Rahab's only concern was the same as that of Naomi and Elimelech to spare themselves and their family from the scary circumstances they were facing, just like us. Rahab's only concern was that they don't die in the war that was to come with Israel. Elimelech and Naomi's only concern was that they would have food to feed themselves and their boys. They were clueless, absolutely clueless to see that God was using their circumstances to set up not just their redemption, but the redemption of a nation and ultimately the redemption of all mankind, including those of us who accepted Christ, even Jackson. He was setting it up way back then. There was a worship song in the old covenant nation of Israel out of Psalm 43, and it starts out with these words, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king of all the earth. Some of you may find yourself hungry like Elimelech and Naomi, having no idea where your next meal is going to come from. Run to God, don't run from him. Run to him. Maybe you find yourself in Rahab's circumstances or something like that, looking death in the eyes, not sure how or even if you will survive. Run to God, don't fight against him. Run to him. There's another Hebrew chorus recorded for us in Psalm 46. And it says this, God is our refuge and strength. Always, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar with foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Too often times of our gatherings, 
we end with an altar call. But I wonder sometimes what God could do with us if we surrendered ourselves at the beginning of the service. What would God teach us if our hearts were already laid bare before him? If we said, God, I know that I'm not where I need to be. I, I know that I'm not, I'm not as faithful, and I know you're good, but I don't trust you with my life. I'm struggling. I'm scared. And this morning, I want to hear from you. I wonder what would happen. Habakkuk 3, look at these words. They're on the screen. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. Wow, that's a bad day. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is and will be my strength. What would, be, what, would be, what would be the life we would have? What would be the testimony we would have if we could actually say and mean that? Well, I want to be quiet and give you the chance to tell God that. Look, sometimes we say things from here, not from here. Because we know up here they're true. And I'm not here to tell you that Elimelech and Naomi had an easy life if they wouldn't have run to Moab. And I'm not here to tell you that Rahab didn't have something to fear. And I'm not going to tell you that when Ruth and Naomi head back to Judah and they find themselves in poverty, that they weren't scared or shouldn't be scared. I'm here to tell you that in all of those circumstances, God was still faithful. And no matter what circumstances in which you find yourself today, I promise you as God's child, he is faithful. He's faithful. Even in our death. He's faithful. And sometimes we cry out to him from here and say you're faithful when we don't feel it in here. I'm going to be quiet for about 15 or 20 seconds and I want to give you a chance to talk to God about what's burdening you right now. Talk to him. Have an honest 15-second chat with the King of Kings, your daddy, who redeemed you. And I want you to see yourself laying it at his altar. If you don't trust him, you just tell him you don't trust him anyway. Be honest. No more Christianese stuff. And then I'll pick up our text. Amen. Ruth 1.22 says, So Naomi returned to Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in the late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who's the young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. 
She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Um, just a side note on this. What you may or may not know is that, every, uh, is that as in everything else we've learned so far in the story, what you're actually observing is something that God had set up legally in the nation of Israel way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And in fact, the language that is written here by who we believe is Samuel writing this is eerily familiar to the Deuteronomy law. For instance, look at it with me, Deuteronomy 24. When you're harvesting, this is just a law. Remember, Deuteronomy is the law book of the nation of Israel, and this is one of their laws. When you're harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigners and the orphans and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the bows uh, twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That's why I'm giving you this command. This is the Jewish version of God's food assistance program for the poor in the nation of Israel. When Naomi and Ruth return to Judah, they have nothing. They have nothing. So as you already saw in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, the Jew, it's important that Samuel is pointing out she's a Moabite, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Now, I think it's interesting here because this is when she just happens to end up in Boaz's field, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, one of the things that the English Bibles don't do well is they don't show the humor in these stories. And there's a lot that Samuel does throughout First and Second Samuel, and I'll try to point them out as we go through. A couple things happen in all of Samuel's writings, which is why we believe that he wrote this as well. Number one, he throws a lot of sarcasm in, tongue-in-cheek stuff. Number two, he continually is throwing out parallels. He throws out lots of parallels. For instance, one you're familiar with is going to be Saul and David. Uh, more on that later. But this is a tongue, that's a tongue-in-cheek statement. It just so happens she finds herself in Boaz's field. As I was thinking about that again this week, I wonder if, if God had Ruth in mind when he told Moses on Mount Sinai that law. I mean, it says foreigners as well. I wonder, I wonder if that wasn't part of it. You think God's that intentional with his plans, even hundreds, if not thousands of years before? The answer is absolutely, you guys. And in, and in 2017, we don't believe he's that sovereign. We sort of, I know we say he is, and we sing songs that, we, that he is, and we take verses, and we say that he is from those verses, and we amen those, but we don't really believe that God is working underneath the surface of our tragedy, our difficulty. We don't really believe that he's that sovereign. We, we have a tendency... Um, I was reading something this morning, and I, I, I don't, somebody put it on Facebook, and look, we live in a culture that makes excuses for everything that goes on, right? Everything. The reason I'm this is because of this, or it's somebody else's fault. I'm not responsible for it. And that may be true, but God is still working even in the problems. He works in the problems to make us what he wants us to be. And God is willing, he's willing to sacrifice your physical and my physical comfort to be intimate with us. We don't understand. We don't really believe. We, we have bought into the evangelist view of God. And it's a right view. God wants to save you. But when we say save, we only think of one-third of salvation. You see, there's three parts to salvation. 
There's justification. That's the moment you pray, God says you are declared righteous. Then there's sanctification, where you become more like him as you become intimate with him. And then there's glorification. That's you and I going to spend eternity with him face to face. We spend most of our time in the evangelist theology of salvation from hell. And I've got news for you. That's not only one third of the story. That's the smallest part of the story. That's like saying that the goal of being a parent is having a baby. That's not the goal of parenting. It's raising great kids. It's having godly children. It's having a legacy. It's actually having your kids honor you with the way they live their lives. That's what parenting is about. It's actually for the child of God carrying on a Christian heritage. It's carrying on the church's work. It's actually propagating God's mission in this world through our family and our bloodlines. It's discipling our kids. Family is not just about bringing home a baby. I, I've told you before that the worst moment of our marriage as well as our child rearing was the day we brought the baby home from the hospital, set, it, set Zach in that, that, that cage and looked at him. Do you know what he did? Nothing. And then he screamed. That's all Zach ever did until he got older. For you parents, who keep having people tell you, oh, just wait till they become two, wait till they become seven, wait till seventh grade. I got news for you. We loved every stage better. Even to now. My kids have now run away from home. But you know what? They're doing so good in life that it honors me. It brings me joy. Julie's in Ohio this weekend, and I've had a lot of time to just chill. And I am so blessed by my kids. You do not have children to have a baby in a baby carriage. You have children to grow up and pass on the legacy of your godly life. And it's the same with Christianity. The reason God draws the nation of Israel to himself is to proclaim himself to the world as they trust him. The reason that you and I are alive is not to have a comfortable good life, no matter what preachers tell you. The reason that God adopted us is because he wants to be our daddy. He wants to fellowship with us. And I assure you that he is willing, if he's willing to kill his son to make you adoptable, then he's willing to allow your, your life to be a crisis in order to keep you close. And that's a secret we don't talk about very much in the church. God wants one thing above all else, and that is to be close with you. That's what God wants. And we fight that. When she just happens to find herself in Boaz's field, it's because God is at work. There's something else, though, that stood out to me here, and I've had a couple of you remark that Naomi has always been your, your hero in Scripture and that you don't like what I'm doing to her. I, I want to be clear that, that that's fine. She can still be your hero because the hero of the story isn't Naomi or Ruth. It's God. She's just like us, you guys. And I'm sorry if I'm ruining your happy little Naomi world, but um, it... It, it is what it is, and I hope, I hope that you find great joy in the fact that the characters of Scripture are just like us. Technology's changed, but they haven't, and, and it's going to get a little worse for Naomi this morning, and, and Naomi, I want to say that I'm reading between the lines this morning, so today is the first case you can bring against me if you really, if she's your heroine. That's okay, but I want to, as I observe this, I want to know what she's doing. She's the Jew here. She's the mother-in-law. She's the one who should have known the Jewish law. And by the way, she's going to teach Ruth about the Jewish law as the story goes on next, in the next chapter. But I believe that from the wording in here, Ruth already knows what she's legally allowed to do. And they're sitting at home, as far as we know, starving to death. Nobody's helping them. Somebody's got to feed the family. Instead of Naomi, by the way, some of you are going, well, she's an old woman. She can't work. She just went on a 50-mile journey from Moab, okay? 
This is a stout woman who can take care of business. And it's her Moabitess daughter who just converted to her God that actually comes to her and says, hey, I want to go out. And the angry, hurt, wounded, pouty Naomi, or as she is now known as a Mara, which means suffering. I mean, to be around this woman, I'd rather stick a needle in my eye. <laughs> she appears too busy. She appears too busy, too preoccupied, or let me add, too depressed to actually get out of the house and help glean. I want to show you one of the strangest passages in the Bible. So strange so, so much that we rarely talk about it in the church because it goes against every book ever written and ever sold in Southern Baptist bookstores. Exodus chapter 14, verses 5. Start. I'm going to read this to you. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled... Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and he called upon his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with the forces of Pharaoh's army, all the horses and chariots and charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped outside the sh or beside the shore near some weird named place across from some other interesting named place. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked just like we would. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? We liked it so much there. I added that last line. Didn't we tell you this would happen when, while we were uh, still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Just a side note, somebody tell me, how come God actually sent Moses to redeem them? Does anybody remember what God told Moses in the burning bush? I have heard what? The cries of my people. I've heard the cries of my people who are asking for deliverance, and I am now sending you to deliver them. Why is that a big point? Because a lot of times we pray for God's deliverance, we just don't like how he delivers us. I mean, that's the bottom line. I didn't mean that way. Remember that old dumb story? I think Zach told it when he preached this summer, and I've told you before about the flood and the guy, he's, his house is flooding and the water's rising, so he gets on the roof of his house and he says, Dear God, save me. Remember the story? And a helicopter comes. And, and, and he says, no, I'm waiting for God to, redeem, to save my life. And, and the helicopter flies off, and then the boat comes. And he says, no, I can't get in your boat because I cried out to God to save me. And then a guy drowns, and he gets to heaven, and God says, why? And, you know, the guy says, why didn't you save me? And the Lord said, I sent a boat and a helicopter. I mean, we're so stupid. We outsmart ourselves. If it's not supernatural, it's not God. If you have a sore on your arm, go to the flippin' doctor. If you're hungry because there's no food for your family, get a flipping job. But I'm going to trust God now for my well-being. You're going to starve to death. God works through things. All right, I'm preaching. I shouldn't yet. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and the Lord will rescue you today. How many times? I could stop right there and preach. And I could walk and I could use cadences and I could get Larry behind the music. That's what we need to do. We need to just stop and wait on God and everybody's going to amen. And some of you are going to go, dear God, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going home. I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch big screen TV. 
Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. This is classic pastor talk. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you praying? Tell the people to walk. Now you know why we don't preach this text very often. Because sometimes we want to whine instead of walk. Wow, that was really good. Would somebody please put that on Facebook? We would, we'd rather whine. We go, God deliver us, and God goes, here I come. I don't want that deliverance. I don't like the water, I don't like the food, I don't like the location, it's too hot. I don't like this, I don't like that. Some of you prayed for a spouse. Guess what you got, a spouse. (laughs) And we get upset, I don't like this spouse. I meant somebody more like you. That's your job, help him become like me. We, we want what we want. The Israelites are trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And God has to tell Moses and the Jews he's going to deliver them. He had already promised them the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land. Because he promised it. You're going to make it. I'm going to give you. He actually had told them where the land was. He told them that they're going to have to defeat their enemies. He had already prophesied to Abraham, and they knew it, that they would be in slavery for 400 years and then I would deliver you to the plan. There were a billion ways that they should have known what was about to happen next. But I don't, this is scary. I don't, water, bad guys. (laughs) Moses, you did this to us. And we all do it. Every one of us. And God says, keep walking and stop crying out to me. Walk. Walk. Sometimes God's kids would rather whine than walk. God had given marching orders to the Jews, go to this land, and I will lead you smoke by day, fire by night. But when they get hungry, they cry out to him. When they get scared, they cry out at him. They scream. Some of us, like Elimelech and Naomi, choose to run from God rather than to him when we know we should run to him. We say things like, but God isn't safe and I don't trust him. Well, how's it working not trusting him? You might as well trust him. Ruth, this newly minted woman who's in process of being what's called an alienated Jew, in other words, a Gentile who becomes a Jew, actually stands up for the God of Israel and said, look, he made a law, let's just obey it. Isn't that our experience? I mean, new Christians are kind of annoying, aren't they? They're so trusting. They're so excited. Give us a few weeks. We'll calm them down. There's something about childlike faith that if God is going to save your soul from eternity apart from him, he must have a plan for my life too, and I want that plan. Remember when you used to believe that? Remember when you were so naive that you found joy in the Lord even in the difficulty of the journey? I do. Sometimes I'd rather whine than walk. Sometimes those of us who have known God for years and don't like the way he's running his universe or our lives forget the simplicity of obedience and trust, so we stop doing the simple stuff. We do what the Jews did at the Red Sea. We freak out, we complain, and we pretend to pray. (laughs) They had their marching orders. It wasn't time to pray. It's time to walk. 
in the case of Naomi and Elimelech and the Jews, God still meets them in their blind, foolish, complaining, and disobedience. Actually, before they're even born, he starts the plan. For the Jews, it was in the Red Sea. And for Ruth and Naomi, it would be in a field that just happened to belong to the guy that would become their kinsman redeemer. We'll talk about that next week. By the way, I'm not saying that you have to like the journey. That's not realistic, nor is it biblical. If you uh, haven't reviewed lately Elijah, I would have loved to have read the story, but Elijah, after you know the Mount Carmel incident where he calls down fire from heaven on Baal's prophets, and then he has them all killed after God destroys them on cue, all this supernatural stuff, and the people kill the prophets of Baal, but then all of a sudden, it word is out that the king and queen want him dead. So remember what he does? He runs out of the community and goes and sits by the brook and he goes to sleep because he's depressed. We're always in conflict. The flesh, what I want. I want to be recognized. I want to be the king. Now you're just a servant today, son. That's depressing. God's path for our life is often difficult. And I want you to listen for a second to the Jews the feelings during this, okay? It's in Psalm 77. Listen to this. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would even listen to me. In case you're not understanding biblical language, he's going, are you even, are you even there? Come on, I'm crying. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven. When was the last time you did that? Never. I know we're, we're too honest to Carpenter's way, but when was the last time you were so seeking a blessing from God you stayed up all night and lifted your hands? Okay, I'll take that as nobody but me. That's because I'm a super spiritual preacher. <laughs> but my soul was not comforted. Ever experienced that? I don't understand. You told me to cry out to you. Where's that comfort that preacher promised? I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't even let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. By the way, this is a song that a psalmist of Israel sang. This is what they sang in the worship time. Uh, you don't let me sleep, God. It's depressing. I am too distressed to even pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and I ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my faith. The most high has turned his hand against me. Ever been there? Come on, every one of you have been there. Or you're not walking with God. The only time you avoid this kind of feeling is when you're doing it on your own anyway. But for those of us who have depended on God, we've been there, right? Thank you, both of you. Do not leave me alone in vulnerability here. Maybe you're super spiritual, but the reality is this is, this is difficult. This is my faith. Oh God, your ways are holy, verse 13. Verse 12, let me go back to that. They're constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works, verse 13. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders, but your strong arm, by your strong arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. 
When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The, the sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured out rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of fly, lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through a sea. I love this. Your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway nobody knew was there. That's your God, my friends. That's your dad. I'm trapped. There's no way out. There's God. A pathway we didn't even know was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with no Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Oftentimes, we find ourselves trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea or with no food in the cupboard and mouths to feed, and we cry out to God in our anguish and anger. While, while you're crying out, do not forget to obey his last and most recent instruction to you. It's still intact. This is not just a thing for the Jews here. It's for us as well. One of the coolest letters in the New Testament, or two of them, is First and Second Thessalonians. This is a church that's got it going on. Paul is so thankful for this church. Of all the churches, this may be the one that he feels most appreciative for because they have ministered to him. They've sent money to other churches. And he's used to going into communities and talking to these churches, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians, and telling them how amazing the churches are. But he would go into communities, 1 Thessalonians tells us, and people would tell him what's happening in Thessalonica for the king. Blew him away. But there was one problem in the church of Thessalonica, and that's that they were so obsessed with prophecy. This is going to sound familiar. They were so busy believing that God was going to come back Friday afternoon that they stopped working, some of them. Some of them had stopped working. Some of them had started, uh, and, and, and as a result, didn't have money to take care of their families, and so they were borrowing from other people in the church. And because of that, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes this, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. So this was a common instruction for this church. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you'll not need to depend on others. Unfortunately, the general approach didn't work, because in his second letter to them, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, Paul gets to the point. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Because you know what? Sometimes we'd rather sit in our living room in the middle of the floor awaiting the return of the Lord. That is not why you're here. You are not here just to be saved. You are here to serve. You are here not to be served. You're here to be a difference. You are not here to make sure that the United States of America stays constitutionally accurate. That is not your calling. You are here to tell them that your daddy is the king of kings and he never changes his mind that he not only wrote the constitution of his heart, it is built upon his character and his attributes, and he never stops loving. He never stops chasing. He never stops pleading with people. That's why we're here. And in order to teach that message, the world has got to want redemption. Guess how they want redemption? When everything else fails. You see, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to keep going believing with all of your heart that come hell or high water, God has your back. Even, and even if he does not, you'll do your best you can in his program and leave the results to him. And that's where we find Ruth in Ruth chapter 2. Verse 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. She knew the rules God had set up. She knew the system and she knew her circumstances. She had already said to Naomi, your God will be my God, your people my people. And if you remember the next line, she basically says, 
And if I don't keep, she says, God can curse me if I don't keep this. And let me add one more thing. I will die on the road with you if I need to. This is a woman who, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, has fully devoted herself not just to this woman, but to right, taking care of this woman, and to the God of this woman, no matter what that leads to. That, my friends, is faith. That's radical faith. So what does Ruth do? Instead of sitting with Naomi in the house, changing her name to depressing names, telling her friends why God has abandoned her, she decides to go out and gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it just happens, she finds herself working in the field to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she's there, Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, uh, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Boom, 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 boom. Do you know why God made men attracted to women? Because he hooks us up. I don't know if this is a romantic attraction, but I'm just going to pretend to be millennial and see romance in this. But he takes notice of her, whether it's because she's a hard worker, impressive morally because he knows who she is. We'll get to that in a moment. But for whatever reason, he's interested in this poor person. By the way, it is reasonable to believe that there were hundreds in his field. But there was something about that young lady that stood out to him. Could that have been God? Maybe. Who does she belong to? Loaded question. Who's her family? Who's her husband? And the farmer replied, she's a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. So she, uh, she had been working, uh, she, had been wor- uh, she has been hard at her work ever since, except for a few minutes, uh, rest in the shelter. I thought that was interesting for Samuel to let us know too. He wanted us to know this was one hardworking girl. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See, there were others. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. Question, why did he have to instruct the young men not to treat her roughly? Because they would have. If you're wondering about the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, it's hinted at throughout this story. Treating her harshly could have raped her, could have taken ownership of her, could have killed her. She's a Moabite, could have said anything. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Interesting. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourselves to some food. You can dip your bread in sour wine. We're going to come back to that next week, but it sure sounds like unwitting communion to me. If this is about redemption and a picture of it, uh, just coincidence. Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the the sheaves without stopping her, and pull some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Question, why did he have to tell them not to give her a hard time? 
because they would have. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law who was sitting pouting on the porch. I do not know that for sure, but I added that. I just want to be clear. That's in the uh, Mark Wilkie version of people I choose to like and people I choose not to like. (laughs) Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Oh, now he shows up. Boy, oh boy. I had a good day. God blessed me today. I had a bad day. Where are you? Same God, same blessing. It just feels better. How do you know he's cursing you on the days he's cursing you? Remember our talk about Joseph years ago? Was it a good day or a bad day when his brothers threw him in the pit? It was a bad day. Except that that day, if you remember, led him to be in Egypt. Oh, okay, I guess it was, it was not a totally bad day. It was kind of a good day. Was it a good day or a bad day he ends up in Egypt? It was a good day. Well, not when you realize that he starts working for the, the guards and ends up that guard, his wife, accuses him of trying to make sexual advances. Uh, He's playing Hollywood people on his wife, and they throw him in jail. I guess it was a bad day when when he got the job with that guy. Was it a good day or bad day when he ends up in jail? It's a horrible day. Yeah, but if he wouldn't have gotten to jail, he wouldn't have been able to have that dream and tell those two guys what was coming. Well, maybe it was a good day. Was it a good day or bad day? He's released and made second in command over all Egypt. It was a good day. Was it a good day? How do you know it's a good day? How do you know? Well, because I feel good and bad. When was the last time feelings ever discerned anything in this life? When I was 14, I thought the worst thing in the world was the girl I asked to go to the movie with me wouldn't go. Was that a good day or a bad day? What I didn't know is she would have beat me up at the theater. (laughs) You don't know. You really, really don't know. Well, how can it be good if I don't have enough food? Maybe God wants to introduce you to your next husband. I'm already married. He'll work it out. How do you know standing at the bank of the Red Sea surrounded by cancer isn't a good thing? Well, it can't be a good thing. I'm dying. What if God wants to take you home? You'll never have to deal with it again. Well, I guess that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. You'll find out in a few days. I mean, the problem is that the children of God, we've said that we trust him, that we've given up our own life, our old life, and we're following new. And and look, I'm with you here. But we keep acting like this is YOLO. We only live once. We don't only live once. In fact, this isn't even the good one. At some point, we have to believe God. And when he says walk, so what do you want, pastor? You want him to walk into the Red Sea? I want him to walk into the Red Sea. Why do you want him to walk into the Red Sea? Because that's where the cloud was. Follow the cloud. Pastor, what college does God want me to go to? Which college do you want to go to? I want to go to A&M, but my family all are Texas people. (laughs) Go to A&M just to tick them off. Go to both, look at them, pray, and if God doesn't make it clear, go the place you want to go. I assure you that if you're on the wrong path, if you're heading to College Station and he wants you in Austin, a whale will meet you halfway there. <laughs> God is that good, or your tire will be flat, and the wrecker is only going to U- University of Texas. You've you got to really believe. We've got to jump into the lake that God really is as good as we claim he is that he's really that complete, that he's got all this. Otherwise, we end up with, as Naomi, Mara, going, uh. You you know why she didn't want Ruth to go with her back and Orpah? Because she wanted to be alone. She didn't want responsibility for those girls. She would rather send them back to their false gods without conversion, send them to hell, than she would take care of their needs. That's why I'm not a fan of Naomi. She acts like me. That's why I'm not a fan. I expect more from characters in the scripture. Don't you? 
Unfortunately, they're just like us. But God is like no other God you've ever heard about. Because not anywhere in this story does he give up. He lets them hurt, but he never gives up. He keeps digging. He keeps accidentally setting her up with Boaz. Boaz. Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field, and she gathered grain. Where are we in the verses? I don't remember. Verse 19. I'll go there. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today, his name is Boaz. May the Lord bless him, we told the daughter-in-law. It's a good day. God's with us. He is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Just remember that. We'll talk about that next week. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the end of the harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Now Naomi's mind is working. Oh. We got husband material here. How do I know that? Next week we'll talk about it. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields. Why does she say that? Because it would have happened. You want to know the spiritual condition of Israel? Just read between the lines. It's not a good place. Good people don't harass people just because they're foreigners. For those of us who are politically conservative, remember that. You know, the scripture actually addresses how you take care of your animals. Do you know that? A righteous man is kind to his beast. Be careful to put a fish on the back of your rage. Be careful. Your politics should always be trumped by your relationship with the king of kings. Always. You're right. They might be illegal, but you should still share food with them. It's ruining our country. This country's ruining itself. If you're not clear on that, all those people screaming about having a president that was profane, while he was bragging about doing it, which there's no evidence he did, they were doing it. That's the world in which we live. You want to hang your uh, hat on that hat rack? My God never, ever, ever, ever violates people. Nor does my king. He doesn't do that. I'm going to hate my, hang my coat in his closet. Where are you hanging your coat? Don't be discouraged. What's happening in our country has to happen. So you're going to let it go down? No, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote. I'm going to participate. I'm not going to lose sleep over it ever again. And neither should you. Yesterday there was supposed to be the first day of the revolution in the United States. Did you know that? Antifa was supposed to start rallies across the country, and it was supposed to be the first day when they were going to, I don't know, take over the country. Um, when I was a kid and we would blow up water balloons, the water balloon that was the biggest, the most exciting one, invariably had a hole in it. That's what happened yesterday. Because it's not time. When the time comes, we're going to have to cross the Red Sea. I'm a pre-tribulation rapturist. I'm going to be out of here. It's already bad. Did you read the article I put on Facebook this week and our church Facebook page about the believer, the, our brother who just got out of North Korea? He had never even heard the term underground church. Because when you're living it, you're not looking for titles. You just want to walk with God. Stay faithful until he comes and gets you. Just because you live in the United States doesn't mean you're exempt from difficulty. 
it's going to be really, really difficult. Proverbs 16.9. Where are we in the text? Again? I, can't, I just can't seem to finish this. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with the young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So I guess Proverbs 16.9, at least as it relates to Naomi and Ruth, is absolutely true. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Or James 4, 13 to 16. Look here, you say, today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we'll live or do, and do this or that. So there's nothing wrong with having a plan. It's just thinking that that plan is going to be the way it goes is foolishness. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Come on, folks. We have to remember and believe 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. Do you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You're His. If He wants, to, if he wants the, uh, the Taliban or ISIS to kidnap you and put you in a prison in the Middle East, ship you by plane over there, then your task has not changed even if you're terrorized. Your task is the same, to tell people about your dad because you're about to see him. I don't want to die that way. I don't either. <laughs> Who's to say that we're not going to? Who knows? What I know is this, that it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to keep walking. This story found in this book is not as so much about a man and a woman, but a God and a rebellious people that he is in the process of adopting. God's core desire is not judgment, but fellowship. And we talked about that last week. He used Rahab's circumstances to bring Boaz into the world, the son of a Gentile prostitute who had a soft spot for foreign women. Do you know why Boaz would be open to engaging a Moabite woman? Just think. Tell me why. Well, Drop Dead Beautiful might be part of it. His mama, you're Texans, you care about your mama. Your mama's scarier than your daddy. It is the craziest thing, because it ain't like this anywhere else in the country I've lived. I've lived in uh, California, I've lived in Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio, and I've never been anywhere here. You can be in the middle of a situation where a young man who's obviously a thug is about to start something. If his mama shows up, he melts like a little piece of butter. It is the craziest thing because here in this culture, they're still respected. Guess what? It wasn't Jewish cultures too. And this guy's mama was a Gentile whore. So the fact that she was a foreigner wasn't a problem because the woman who raised him, she was a Gentile. Is God good or what? If this would have just been a story where they lived, it wouldn't have been the same. Paul wouldn't have looked at her like this. Paul struggled with Gentiles. God actually orchestrated their difficult upbringing and actually took the walls of Jericho, if for no other reason but to bring this story into fruition. Why? So that we could be saved. So, Pastor, what do I do? What's the point? Pray, walk, work, worship, and start over. 
but you don't understand. I, I don't. So what should I do? Pray, walk, work, and worship. And what do I do when I'm done with that? You start over. Pray, work, wor worship, walk, keep going. I don't know where to go. Are you a teacher? Try school. Are you a mom? Try your kid's bedroom. I saw the funniest online thing this morning. What daylight savings time is for a mother. The same as every other day. <laughs> I know you're tired. I know you're scared. I know you don't like your boss. Pray. Go back to work. Worship. And walk. Listen to Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak of his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened to me. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. I love this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Pray, walk, work, worship, and repeat until he comes back to get us. Father, thank you for Ruth. She has shown us, Father, what it looks like to put all of her eggs in your basket. Now may we do the same. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Operation Christmas Child, sign up if you haven't yet. Have a wonderful day. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.